Listeners everywhere, welcome to The Movie Show with Joel and Ryan, the weekly fix for your screen addiction and a trusted source for discussion of all things film and television. Please keep in mind that for the purposes of this podcast, Joel and Ryan are not acting as journalists, but rather fellow moving picture enthusiasts. All of their opinions should be taken as such. Also, please be warned that while Joel and Ryan may seem like petulant children, they are, in fact, adults who may occasionally use adult language. While they promise to keep out all the worst words, it's a good bet you will still understand what they were saying. And now, with no further ado, here's Joel and Ryan. Welcome to the movie show with Joel and Ryan. Welcome. We're so happy to have you here. I am Joel. And I'm Ryan. And uh, yeah, we are back. We are back, just the two of us. Um, like we were last week, a little old, again, another old school episode. Somebody's um, somebody's beard has grown way beyond the itchy phase, too, I noticed. <laughs> Yes, my beard is uh, is get is is getting uh, quite to the San- almost to the Santa phase, <laughs> um, and I'll be shaving it soon. Probably, sh- you know, shaving it into some sort of uh, Victorian. Oh, I don't know fun. if we're gonna keep the chops or you know just have the stashy or you know might maybe even twirl up the sides or a little. So you know, it's, it's all dependent on. What- I haven't talked to the costumer yet. She just uh, was very appreciative that I grew grew Something. out of the yeah grew out the so that the you face. have maximum potential mm-hmm. hair facial hair to play with. So if you're listening to us, uh, um, listening to this podcast in in its audio form, uh, I guess be thankful you don't have to look at my uh, my shiny white beard. Or or I'm sorry that you don't get to look at my shiny white beard. But but if you are watching us on the video feed on YouTube on our channel, the movie show with Joel and Ryan page on YouTube, well then, hi, hello, you're looking at us. How you doing? Um, so uh, yeah, we welcome we welcome you. Thank you for uh, for joining us for another uh, for another episode. Uh, this week we are going to pick up kind of where we left off a little bit uh, in talking about death. Uh, um, last week, uh, last week's episode uh, ended with a question from uh, from a listener asking about if we if we could know the precise moment of our death, um, would we want to know? Yeah, I think that question uh, was more about telling the future than actual mortality. Right. But, <laughs> but well, it, it got me it got me thinking, and I and I had been thinking a bit about uh, I, it's kind of grim, but I've been thinking a little bit about death um and uh and and sort of how uh how we um how we use death how how death is used as a storytelling device how we uh, how we treat death in our culture and in other cultures uh and how we um yeah how we sort of bring that into our uh into our viewing habits there's a uh, i i'm really enjoying the show on cbs uh called ghosts based on a bbc version of a show of the same name um where it's uh these it's essentially it's a house filled with ghosts of people who have died in that spot since um you know 
all the way back to the Vikings. Um, and, uh, and it's very, uh, it's very funny and very fun. And um, yeah. And that's just a, a, you know, another example of uh, it just, that's a television example of how, uh, of, of, of how we deal with death. Which, so, which is, um, which is by not dealing with it at all in that case. Yeah. Correct. Which is actually the most common way you'll see when we get into our list. The most common way to deal with death cinematically is to ignore it all Mm -hmm. together and pretend like for that person, things just keep right on going. And uh, what's that say about us? I guess, well, that's something we get to explore in the next hour and change. Yeah. So let's, uh, let, let's, um, but you know, uh, uh first yeah, on the topic of death, uh, unfortunately, I, I, you know, don't want to bring it down on the top, but we did lose, uh, an absolute legend in the business, um, uh, in, uh, in Vangelis, uh, yes. the, the man, uh, most respond, the, the man, uh, uh, maybe the most, most synonymous with, uh, electronic film scores. And maybe um, he's such a, uh, and uh, he's, Vangelis is such an odd bird, even in his early pioneering synthesizer work. That's always part of his work, the electronics, but his percussion's always very live. His he's always has choral pieces mixed in, things like that. That so as an electronic film mm-hmm. score guy, he's not like Tangerine Dream, and he's not like some of these some of the you know, like the John Carpenter scores and, and and the minimalist stuff. In that he really he, he he's an electronic pioneer, but his film scores feature everything but the yeah. kitchen sink basically thrown into them which is what's so exciting about them i think yeah and, and why yeah. they they why they're even though they're very synthy there's a timelessness to them that you don't get with other you know synthy styled stuff from that same era mm-hmm. and his mm-hmm. own his own record i mean his own records throughout the ages are you know tell that tale as well he just uh vangelis his melodicism and his his yeah he's definitely a, an electronic pioneer and that goes for his film work for sure and he he started out in the 70s doing scores for nature documentaries but that's not how he started as a recording artist as a recording artist he was just a greek keyboard player using two very famous greek bands um the most famous of which is called Aphrodite's Child they only made a couple albums because he was the driving creative force behind them and he he just just got less interested in rock music and sort of dropped mm-hmm. out of that scene but his nature documentary stuff is really really amazing one of his greatest film scores is a score for a uh you know like a, a um around here we had the science museum you have probably a different setup in your city or town but uh a big um widescreen sort of adventure documentary called Antarctica and it's it's just off the charts good music it and it you know it elevates this little film that nevertheless is about a really mm-hmm. really big thing it's about the sort of magic and mysteries of a continent we've talked obviously about chariots of fire on the show that's one of my favorite movies ever the score really really i mean that's such a great movie on its own and the score just turns it into where you feel like you're watching an all-time great movie it it just lends so much to that film 
Yeah. Because a movie could be, it could fall prey to just being a rather stodgy costume drama. And, and the f- music somehow just takes it someplace different. And, and it's just wonderful. And, uh, Blade Runner, yeah. which we'll talk about with Blade Runner was our number one, I believe ever electronic film score. I'm, I can't imagine that. Yeah, I think I'm that's right. Sure and, and I think that's, I think the, the case can absolutely be made there, even though that score has got Middle Eastern chants and giant yeah. metal clanging things and huge timpani and just giant sounding stuff. The, the keyboards are definitely mixed in there and are important elements of it. But it's funny how they get less and less important as that movie goes on, which is really... You know, which yeah. I think has always been an interesting thing about it. They're very, very prominent in the early goings of the film. And then we get some electric piano and some love themes and things. And then after that, it's just noise, just really, really powerful noise that support mm-hmm. the sort of zaniness of the end of that film. Um, and it's, the big. It's kind of wild. Yeah. I was just going to say, it's really wild. Uh, Chariots of Fire, 81, Blade Runner, 82, and Antarctica, 83. Yeah. That's, and Missing, that's, Missing was 83. Missing, or missing is 82. That's 82. Still, 82, you did that. Yeah. And The Bounty is 84. My God. The, and The Bounty is such a good score. Holy Moses. Yeah. If you guys haven't heard, uh, I mean, it's. He's he takes a back seat in that movie. So the film's got a very prominent opening title sequence and a very prominent closing title sequence. And they're both amazing. And otherwise, again, his his actual score for the film is a little more random and a lot less musical mm-hmm. and and mysterious and really very cool in that way, which I dig. The Bounty's a great movie to revisit if you can you should be able to. I mean, it's got young. You just got just out of school. Liam Neeson and Daniel Day Lewis in it. Mel Gibson and Anthony Hopkins performing what yep. is largely believed to be the most accurate screen version of the famous mutiny on the bounty. And it, it's the tropical locations and the work on the ship itself and stuff and the sequence where they're trying to get around um, Cape Horn. It's just stunning stuff. Yeah, really, it's, really, it's really a, good movie. It's tremendous, yeah. and his uh, and his score for fourteen ninety two. I want to mention that just because that I, made I our love... list. That was the other the yeah, the, that, the, the, uh, the second of three that made our electronic film scores list because fourteen ninety two is amazing, and his score for Alexander's uh, or for Oliver Stone's Alexander too. Alexander mm-hmm. being one of the most infamous or famous uh, Greeks in in Western history, um, that score too is amazing. And he kind of came out of film. He kind of soured on films and Hollywood and all that. And he kind of stopped doing that. Uh, he kept with the science and documentaries, but he kind of just left the big Hollywood films behind. Ridley brought him back for 1492, which is fantastic. And yep. and the last big one he did was Alexander, which also has that big heroic majesty to it in a film that's actually shows really kind of the dark side of what Alexander was in a in a in a kind of human hubris sort of way. That's a good movie too if you if you get the urge to watch a very preachy Oliver Stone historical epic. I know that's <laughs> we all love that, right? Surely. Hey, hey, yeah, it's uh, it's how I like to. Spend so that's not a lot of biography Saturday of Evangelist, yeah. but his his identity really is in the music. His albums are all really really good. 
I have almost all of them. There's like 60 of them. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's just, he just, he, he had, you know, it, he's so famous for that chariots of fire theme. And that theme is so easy to mock and make fun of. And, and I get it. I get why it is too. It, it's funny, but it's, it's so wonderful. And his, his, all of his contributions to, to popular music and to what we'd call new age music, but you know, his, his unwillingness to be saddled with any sort of labels in his film scores or in his albums is what's so great about him. You, you could, ne you could never count on him to, to stick and do the same thing that made him successful. He's always doing something different, much to the consternation of some of his fans who just wanted to hear the Ernest <laughs> Julio Gallo theme song over and over and over again throughout the years. And they just didn't get that. Yep. They got something sure. radically different and challenging every time. That's what a true artist is. You know, that's easy when you have a lot of success in your thirties and you got a lot of money in the bank, you really can sort of do whatever you want. But, but they do, we don't always do that. Even guys uh, that have that level of success settle into what, you know, what the world, what their fans, what the industry wants mm -hmm. of them. And he just never, never did that. And I can't tell you how, what, uh, how much he's enriched our films and enriched my life. I love Vangelis unabashedly yep. and unironically love every note. Yeah. He, uh, yeah. Yeah. So he, uh, rest in synth. Um, and, uh, we, yeah, thank you, uh, Vangelis for everything. You can go back and listen to our, uh, electronic scores episode, um, on the Podbean uh, platform, uh, episode season two, episode two. Yeah. That one's uh, so old that it's not on all formats anymore. It's yeah. Yeah. Unless you, yeah, unless you have all of our back catalog. Off, they're dropping off the back end of Apple casts and other places. So yeah, I'm going to have to. We're going to have to, Ryan has tasked me with maybe uh, putting we'll these see. things on, uh, uh, finding a, an, another home for him. But hey, you can always go to podbean.com, look up the movie show with Joel and Ryan, and uh, and everything that we've recorded is there. Movie show with Joel and uh, Ryan, powered by Podbean. And for a while there, is, you got two Tom Grisham episodes for the price of one. Because uh, <laughs> it was duplicated yeah. on there. The, yeah. <laughs> Double the Grisham. Um, Double the Grisham anyway, and half so the Spielberg, just like a movie show <laughs> should be. Anyway, that's, that's all been sorted out. So uh, head back yep. and you'd be, you're in good hands now. Yep, yep. Uh, and, you know, some people who, you know, we obviously we've had some listeners stick with us that have been with us since the very, very beginning. And obviously we love you. You're family now. And, uh, but yeah, it's... Um, you know it, it, our old catalog man we we talked about some we talked about some fun stuff we had some good lists and going back through we we went through kind of our that episode a few a few uh few weeks ago we went through some of our old topics and, well we talked we and, talked last week about how we're always looking back and always trying to put things into perspective and so i'm very proud <laughs> that not all episodes but most of our episodes hold up over time you can watch listen to them anytime because we're not <laughs> 
we are not dwelling in current events at all. There's a few preview yeah. episodes, which I few can't previews, imagine we did. an hour and 40 minute preview episode, except to hear how wrong we are about everything. That's really <laughs> Correct. <the point>. Oh <laughs> yeah. Um, and you know, we did, we talked, uh, we talked uh, game of Thrones finale right after that came out, uh, yeah. but that, yeah, for the most part, we tend to talk about things with a little bit of distance, a little bit of perspective, but even that we uh, didn't, we didn't mention game of Thrones until it was all over and we could look at the entire right. thing. Right. We didn't, um, we didn't name any of our children Khaleesi. At least I don't think you did, did you? Uh, no, no. Um, we It was on the table for a while, but then we had a boy. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, we um, we were like, okay, do we do we name him Drogo? I, I, do we? Uh, and we decided not to. Um, but um, <laughs> the, uh, uh, yeah, so, um, so today... We are going to go, uh, I I don't know, do, I, do we call this a deep dive? A deep dive into death? <laughs> it is not a deep dive. No. It, and it's not really about death. It's about Hollywood afterlife. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah. So, I've been thinking, you know, and, and these movies, uh, when, when movies deal with uh, with death, when somebody dies in the movies, uh, and we're not going to be talking about, like, uh you know horror films slasher films um uh pat cemetery is not going to make an appearance on our discussion of outside of what i just of just me just mentioning it now um things like that we're uh we're gonna talk about it sort of uh more in a um i i don't uh, boy how it, it's not in a horror way it's just a, as a plot device uh, just, as a, yeah exactly as a as a, as as an, a plot device that is really yeah and term. and artistically how filmmakers uh how how some have chosen to talk about uh how some have chosen to tell a story about uh, what happens after you die? Because if um, we were really going to talk about movies that dealt with death, it would be movies where the person dies and then they're gone and everyone else has to deal with it. Yeah, and that's, there are that's, actually a lot of movies like that. There are very few that are like that that are on this list of what we're going to talk about today. They really are right. about how, what, yeah, what kind of fantasy can we build around or what kind of religious idea can we discuss and explore cinematically and we've divvied them up into three care categories although each each of these films or at least a lot of them have elements of all three categories have heavy elements yeah. of two so you'll have to forgive us for not nailing it down the, the point wasn't to rank anything or you know the point was to let's see how hollywood deals with these things let's see how the movie mm -hmm. industry you know and and the writer's take on the the challenge of telling us st stories like these and and maybe explore the philosophy of what is behind them yeah should be interesting yeah so uh yeah so the first you know we have three categories uh ghost ghost films uh reincarnation not necessarily and, hauntings but ghost yeah films not, and, yeah um and, and obviously you say ghost films and there's the titular ghost that it's that sort of thing where you know a character we are we are with a character after that character has left this movie and that coil. character is a ghost after yeah. they have blown off this mortal coil and now are left yep. as a spirit in the, in the continuing story without their presence in the real world typically 
Right. Uh, and then you have reincarnation movies uh, where a character dies and comes back. And then, uh, but not in as, a... As a uh, different character. Yeah, or, as, not, or, not in a... Yeah. Yeah, or in some fashion. Uh, <laughs> and then we have the Heaven and Hell films where we, you know, where we get into... We actually into, visit uh, an organized other life where that is after... Uh, after this life and those yeah those are my favorites um so uh so let's first let's talk Typ- about ghost typically films. those I mean, are my favorites i yeah. like a good ghost story but the kind of ghost story i like isn't really part of this show <laughs> yeah yeah because i mean a good I, ghost story it can a, be a good ghost story the less you know about the ghost the better or you spend the whole movie trying to figure out the ghost but the ghost yeah. is this other thing and your person the, your main character your hero is is trying to deal with them this is different this is where your our hero more or less becomes a ghost or enters a different realm you know everybody kind of approaches yeah. this a little differently but it's a, it's a fun one to talk about and the, our of course the most famous ever would be the you've been you will be visited by three spirits you know? <laughs> you'll be visited by three ghosts uh yeah and and that you know that's yeah that's uh, yeah, three ghosts. Uh, the the idea of um, you know, uh, oh my, you know, the, the like in yeah, blithe spirit where my you know uh, a character's wife uh, is still around as a ghost, um, uh, and and sort of it's, it's sort of very very comically haunting. Um, ghost and Mrs. Muir. Um, where somebody befriends uh, uh, somebody who turns out to be a ghost. That's that's a yep. that's a common one that sort of goes through mm-hmm. time to a common archetype. The uh, mm-hmm. the it's a wonderful life. The let's show you what life would be like without you. Mm-hmm. That is that one specifically. But the let but the, that to me that's a it's Christmas Carol asking that it's it's we're going to take you on this journey to all these little episodes so that you can learn a very clear by the plot design lesson. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then when you're actually, I think pretty much all those end with you actually being alive at the end. Right. And having um, a renewed hope and a renewed interest in your own life and a renewed value for your own life. Yeah. Uh, uh, D- Disney weirdly enough has, uh, has, has recently dealt, has, has had a few movies dealing with death. Black, um, Blackbeard's Co- Ghost. That wasn't recent. That was no, not recent. No, but Coco and Soul. Uh, those those deal with uh, with characters dying in in a couple of different ways. But um, we we don't really. You were going to save those animated films for uh, some sort of animated discussion. Uh, and of course, there's uh, the. Uh, When's that going to happen? You better give I me plenty know. of notice of that one on the calendar because yeah. I haven't seen well, that. You know, and that maybe that maybe that's one that. Uh, uh maybe those are movies i cover when it's um it's when you get a week off <laughs> um but we have uh and then you know then we of course have the very famous i see dead people mm-hmm. um and um you know and and the the ghosts that uh that uh yeah where you know and where you have characters uh that are interacting with ghosts and trying to figure out what those ghosts need that really um, is a traditional ghost story i don't think it fits yeah that one's more of a traditional well. ghost story. but but, but, have, it, but that one has an interesting other aspect to it which 
It's crazy, but we we won't spoil for you here, just in case. <laughs> just um, just in case, because which, which because sort of elevates it to another to a different level, which is makes the yeah, whole thing that, interesting. That movie in particular has, if for some reason you haven't seen it and you don't know the spoiler, I would I would I would actually feel bad if if I somehow spoiled it for you because I, it is a great. I had Twin great, Peaks spoiled for me twenty years later and about a year and a half before I watched it. <laughs> And that's a shame because you get so far. Yep. Yep. You almost made it. Almost made it. Almost but then I didn't. It. But like any good story, the having it spoiled for you doesn't. I mean, it it ruins a neat surprise, but it doesn't ruin the whole viewing experience. Right. So you know. But nevertheless, that's right. that's a that's a that really is a traditional. Your main character is ha- being haunted. And and the, usually the solution for haunting, well, it's two. Uh, what did what's Amityville Horror say? Get out, get mm-hmm. out of there. Why are you still there? Um, and if that doesn't work, then you you do try and figure out um, what the ghosts want. Traditionally, that's worked out okay, but in modern movies like Insidious and uh, what's another one? The ring, well, the ring's a really good yeah, one. The where ring. you try and give yeah. the ghost everything they want, and the ghost still isn't happy. That that's kind of a spoiler for the ring, but yeah, not really. Uh, <laughs> uh, but also, but also Beetlejuice. You know, that's not a a, a super current. Well, Beetlejuice thing, but, is great because uh, our our main character really is a, a ghost in that one, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, we have yeah, we have uh, uh, our our two our two main characters who are yeah, who are ghosts. Winona Ryder is really not the main character. That it really is. Alec Baldwin and Gina Davis. Alec Baldwin movie. and Gina Davis, yeah, and they're and they're ghosts, uh, and and they uh, are, yeah, and and then they tried, they want to get the uh, the living people out of their house. Well, so they, not because they're living people, but because they're terrible people. Yeah, and and these ghosts are. are this is a very con- this is another recurring theme, and there's a ton of movies like this where the ghosts are left behind and they're trapped a certain place. And if that place gets into spiritual disharmony, it's really torturous for them. So they, they get at odds. My favorite movie of this is the, the film that reverses this. And again, it's like, I won't spoil it, but it's a great, great, uh, ghost story. Um, the others. Right. With Nicole Kidman. Um, it's kind of the same story, but with a it was with a fun, unique twist on it on that on that old form. But Beetlejuice is Beetlejuice really is because you are our, our our heroes are dead in that, and they really it, it's an afterlife movie because they're really experiencing a version of the afterlife that is full of uh kind of like t- Terry Gilliam esque bureaucracy and mm-hmm. there's a lot of lines you have to stand in, a lot of forms you have to fill out, and it to get anything done as a ghost because you have an eternity is very, very difficult. And so they resort to, they bring in a ringer basically to help them solve <laughs> yeah. their problems. And, yeah. and it just makes things worse as it often does when you take shortcuts in life. But I, the Beetlejuice is a great movie. When we have a Tim Burton special or two, that'll be a highlight definitely of that show. I yeah. Think. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, let's see. Uh, and we also have a very is... kindly, uh, human who wants to help the ghosts and right. friends them, which is, that's a useful, if you're, if you're the main hero and you're a ghost, it really is useful to have a person who's alive on your team to get you through Correct. the end for sure. So, 
and uh and we and then there's uh just like heaven which look i'm okay here i'm gonna get in close with you um listener i i'm not i'm not always proud of how much i love this movie it is it's not a great movie um but i i can't not watch it i love it so much it is this beautiful little romance with reese witherspoon and mark ruffalo uh, and Reese Witherspoon is, uh, and and Mark Ruffalo is the guy. Is the, Reese Witherspoon is, is the a dude. spirit? We'll say we'll also yeah, not she's spoil a, the details yeah, of this one. She's she's a spirit, and and uh, Mark Ruffalo is in her apartment, and um, and together they heal and find find their way uh, uh, to each other, even though they can't be together. Um, and, and um, yeah, it's it's lovely. It's funny. It's dumb as hell. It's really dumb. But I just I just love it so much. Beautiful, beautiful San Francisco skyline stuff. Oh, just like heaven. I could. Oh, man, I might. Oh, geez. I, I really I can't, it, do a movie again recently together. The two of them, they were, were just like heaven sort of came back into the spotlight. Um, possibly. Yeah, I could be wrong. That's a it's very not, good. It's not important, but, but yeah, it's not a good. It's. I mean, literally, it's. I reckon. Well, look, it's it's, it's as movie, bad as but, a bad uh, romantic comedy, but it's a high concept one. So there's more going yeah. on there. To give Joel a little credit, there is more going on there than yeah. than that. That's that's what a that's what high concept does for you. It, it allows you to get super thematically rich in a within an old formula. And so that's cool. Like there was a string of them. This that's not really related to this, but there was a string of uh somebody got into an accident. Yeah. And was unconscious for like a great period of time and then and then in the meantime other people fell in love with other people and then when that person came back to life it complicated things. It was I can't remember the it was the one with uh I just all I can remember is Peter Gallagher is the guy who's knocked out, but I don't remember any of the rest of it. Uh, well, uh, it's well, not Peter really Gall- related he, to this because nobody's yeah. dead. But yeah, while you were sleeping. Yeah, yeah, while you were sleeping. Thank you. Is that Sandra Bullock? Who's yeah? The, it is. And Bill Pullman, Sandra Bullock, Bill Pullman, Peter oh, Gallagher is, uh, falls on the tracks. And, yeah. So there's great, and there's a great one that came out recently with. Um, uh, I'm gonna forget his name, but the the it was. Um, I'm gonna forget her name too. Great, good. Now we'll never think of it. <laughs> uh, it's based on a true story of, of the, this comedian, the, the guy who's in. You know who I'm talking about. He's very cool, and he was in Silicon Valley and everything. And and he, him, and his girlfriend wrote this story about this experience that they really had together when she got oh, sick. Oh, the big life. yeah, the big sick with Kumail Nanjiani. Yeah, correct. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And who's the woman? Zoe Kazan. Uh, yeah, anyway, Zoe Kazan plays. Yeah, I. Um, yeah, I was, I was like, oh my god, I can't. Uh, I, it all once I got one name, wife, like it all, yeah. all comes spilling out now. Um, not the same, but it just like heaven is that kind of movie to me. There is something more to that idea because there's this extra pressure and this extra thing that's that's weighing down on the people that that are in the story. And that is is motivating them, and there's an urgency to it that I like. For if I have mm-hmm. to sit through a romantic comedy, I mean, 
you know what I mean? I like I like it to have that that heightened idea. I really think that helps. Yeah. And I'm not a huge fan of Just Like Heaven, but I don't hate it. I don't. I certainly don't watch it every time it quote well, comes on TV, whatever the hell that means these days. I love it. Um, but uh, you don't you don't even um, have TV, so how can you? You just stream it well, quietly. Yeah, on I, the like, side. yeah, slide. Yeah, at this point, yeah, it, there's no longer. I no longer really have that. I mean, I do have TV. I mean, we have we have a subscription live TV service, so there is the yeah. But you every don't. Once you don't while, channel be, surf and oh look, here's just like heaven. I mean, that doesn't happen. So, very rarely anymore. Yeah, very rarely. Uh, um, but that you know. So yeah, now it's now it's oh, Jen's uh it's jen is at home i can i got a moment to myself i'm gonna break out i'm gonna break out the bond bonds and open a bottle of wine and sit here with uh, just like <laughs> indeed that is <laughs> that's totally it I get oh it. it's embarrassing uh but uh so uh just like i haven't check it out and then you'll it's uh, not embarrassing i do that to... exact same thing i just i just do it with you know you Elizabeth Gaskell films. and stuff. I mean, I do it with that stuff because <laughs> that's what makes me feel warm and happy. I get yeah. it. I get it. Um, but yeah, I mean, but that, like the so we have the. Uh, I I loved when you brought this up that uh, ghost that that you know the the classic the super mega hit ghost oh, from nineteen ninety ghost yeah, from Patrick Swayze and number uh, one movie in nineteen Jimmy Moore. And uh, Whoopi Goldberg and um, and Jacob's Ladder were written by the same guy. Yeah. And um, Jacob's Ladder was written first, actually, but produced second. Um, Bruce Joel Rubin is the name of the screenwriter who wrote those. And they both are this kind of the same ish. They, They both are these journeys into the afterlife. They're afterlife mission movies where what's going on in the real world and what's going on in the afterlife have that sort of equal threat to them. So Ghost is a very romantic movie, and Jacob's Ladder is not romantic at all. But, um, I, well, a teeny bit, I guess it is, actually. Because he and, and his wife, Elizabeth Pena, he kind of has two wives. He's got both of his worlds kind of come crashing mm-hmm. down upon him but there is a there is actually a very romantic element involved in that but both when you're talking just romantic in terms of the fine art meaning of the word and and the the there's a heart here there's love involved in the story but ghost really is just a very very corny romance where our hero is murdered and <laughs> He comes back as more of a guardian angel character for uh, his former lover, who's basically still in danger for this because of the mm-hmm. certain plot devices. And yeah, and then there's the it's it's trump card it, it is that it has this uh, <laughs> it has one of these great. This is again, this is a cliche. Even this level of specific, specificity, it's a cliche. It's the it's the con artist psychic who actually is a psychic, but is still a right. con artist, um, which is in all kinds of movies, um, which I think is funny because the con artist psychic. Yes, that's a cliche. An actual psychic is one, but uh, psychic pretending to be a psychic who's actually a psychic is actually in tons of movies. Which is <laughs> so it shows you there's very little original with ghost ghosts idea of the afterlife is 
is I don't. It's right out of, you know, when somebody goes to hell and ghost, it's an absolute cinematic cliche. When somebody goes to heaven, it is also an absolute cinematic cliche. It's Jerry Zucker who directed that is a terrible filmmaker and he just made it as bad <laughs> as he can. But so if it's so bad, Ryan, then why was it such a big hit? And why are me and my boyfriend still do pottery together once a year? Well, it's because it, it gets, it really does get at a, some, because it's cliche and because it's so obvious and it, it it's this clear, concise idea and that's very attractive. You know, there's a very clear mission in it. There's a very clear bad guy. There's very clear reasons why it's happening. Um, and, like I say, the the film, a more dour film wouldn't find a funny way for our heroes to communicate. And this movie does. It won Whoopi Goldberg an Oscar in a role that she could play blindfolded, really. You know, that right. anybody would have been awesome in. That's nothing against Whoopi Goldberg. She's a pretty good actor, but... but it's it the the part on the page wins the Oscar basically and and yeah. you really got to just show up and not f it up and and Whoopi does that she doesn't do too much with it she plays it straight which is why it's funny so good for her because I I doubt Zucker was sitting there trying to keep her more grounded he doesn't keep anything else in the movie grounded Demi right. Moore and Patrick Swayze look like complete hack actors in that film and they're both pretty good in other things. But it's just such a terrible movie. But yeah, it's a neat idea. It really is, and it, and yeah, it, I and mean, it, it's it it and it plays. It's the it was the by far the best date movie of the early nineties, no question. Because it because unlike just like heaven, which no offense to Joel, I, I just admitted to my own sort of girly stuff. But it, it, that's like a different kind of thing. That's like a date movie that most guys I think that I know would have to suffer through to get to the end. And Ghost yeah, yeah. isn't. Ghost is a film that's got plenty of excitement. It's got plenty of violence. It's got all this stuff that you would want um, to feel like you both had like sort of you both got equally fulfilled from Hollywood right. by that film. Mm -hmm. It's it's rare that a movie that's modest comes along and does all that. Um, I wish Ghost was better because I bet you the screenplay, based on what we've seen Bruce write before and since, <laughs> I bet you was better and played a little bit fairer and more authentic mm -hmm. with that idea. Jacob's Ladder, on the other hand, is it's unlike unlike an angelic dream where heaven's on your side and the bad guys are basically possessed by the devil and all the morality is very clear. Jacob's Ladder is... It comes uh, as a result of something that had happened in Vietnam, which was a really unclear and muddled thing. And it, it creates a nightmarish sort of waking dream state for a character where he can't really trust anything that he sees. Yeah. But it's yeah. the same kind of thing. He's on a mission. The fun thing with Jacob's Ladder, if there's fun to be had in it, because I think it's a really, really underrated film. I think it's Adrian Lin's best film and uh adrian line sorry and uh and everybody involved is just sort of equally awesome in it uh jason alexander's in it he's amazing in it. i mean it's stuff like mm -hmm. that where you don't expect it, it's just unexpected even though it ends in the same place it ends with a stairway to heaven yeah you know what i mean it ends with yeah. the same visual idea even though it's so much better 
metaphorically handled, I think, at Jacob's Ladder, it, it, it still goes to the same place. It has the same weird idea of what the afterlife is and what its purpose for us is in it. And it, because it is by the same writer and I, I dig it. Plus, I mean, you can't talk about Jacob's Ladder, I guess, Joel, you, you really like that movie too, but you can't talk about it with, without explaining that at the time they had, there's a lot they could have done with different effects and things and everything, Mm -hmm. everything that is shown, even though it feels otherworldly and weird, everything that's shown in Jacob's Ladder is done with practical, optical, on-set yeah. camera effects and makeup effects. And that makes it, that's why it's so good. Every year after it's coming into existence, it's still really, really powerful because it, there's nothing that dates it in that way. It's a weird movie that starts in the 60s and kind of takes place in the 70s, but feels very 1991, even though it, when mm-hmm. you watch it today, it, it it's just this, it's this weird, crazy, timeless thing in a way that Ghost is 100%. Hairstyles and everything, 1990, whack. It's just totally that. Yeah. And uh, that's just another way they contrast with each other that I think is kind of amazing. Uh, Jacob's Ladder. I always, uh, can't, can't always, the, I can't leave Jacob's Ladder without mentioning how, uh, the, the first time I hurt my back and I, um, it was suggested, Hey, maybe go see a chiropractor, see what they can, um, uh, can do. And I went and the, my the chiropractor that I was seeing was a younger, uh, a younger guy. And the guy's like, so have you ever had chiropractor treatment before? And I was like, nah, well, I mean, I had it briefly, uh, you know, I've had it a little bit, but not really like to adjust my spine. It was more to, uh, uh, you know, work, work, work some other things in my shoulder and neck. And he's like, oh yeah. Okay. I, and they're like, well, what, what, you know, what is your, what is your sort of view on chiropractor? And I'm like, well, have you ever seen Jacob's ladder? <laughs> and the guy's it. like, uh, no, this he's like, no, no, because like I said they were younger. Uh, yeah, yeah, and right. and uh, um, like this guy was in his like mid 20s, maybe upper 20s. Sure, and sure. he's like, no, I haven't seen so that. And I'm was, like, he was I'm like, he was yeah. born when Jacob's Ladder came out, basically. Yeah. So he uh, so he went home and his uh, chiropractor girlfriend, uh, uh, they're both <laughs> chiropractors, watched it. And then like the next week when I came back or a couple days later, when I came back, uh, the guy's like, so um watch jacob's ladder um it's it's a it's a bit different than uh than that uh but i'm like yeah so i'm like that's just that's what i that's my knowledge of chiropractic did he like jacob's ladder on its own terms at least uh yeah he thought it was he thought it was really yeah he thought it was really cool it went some places you know did not see the, the 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 great little twist coming and um so that's always uh, that's always fun. Yeah, yeah, it's a good movie. It really is good. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, you know, also when characters die, uh, they often um, it, it well, yeah, like we talked about how a ghost will um will they may have to spend some time on Earth as a ghost to try to solve something that um solve some problem finish finish something or do something to to uh to put an end put a capper on their life i mean that's Uh, hollywood you're almost always mm -hmm. if you're sent back or if you're not allowed to move on it's Mm -hmm. because you have a mission of some kind and that that's what drives a movie plot if you just 
are there and you wander around and, oh, I wonder how department store manager works. And now I have all this time where I can observe that behavior. Right. That would that might be interesting if you're a spirit trapped here, but it would be really dull for like a movie. So there's always something mm-hmm. high at stake and something, yeah. some task for you to accomplish. Yeah, or and, like we would uh, say in the acting biz, Joel, a goal for you to chase. Someone, yeah, a goal, and then you would have your obstacle to that goal. Mm-hmm. Your, yes, you would have uh, your obstacle to yeah. that goal, and uh, I don't remember what the other things are. Well, it was an A. What was the A? Well, tactics is the end, and the uh, A was goal object, uh, goal obstacle. Jeez, I can't remember. Maybe that's why my obstacles are often others. Maybe that's why you're Indeed. a shitty actor because you're only doing. Maybe three that's of why I'm a shitty actor. I'm only doing. I'm, only, I'm forgetting. Uh, I'm getting the forgetting my A. <laughs> I thought um, it was G O T E and the E was expectations, but yeah. that's no. You're right. That's what it is. Yeah, that's what it is. I've been well. See, that's why I'm a shitty actor. Is I've been spelling it wrong. <laughs> why did you even go down? I just made the reference. Why did you even go down that path if you didn't even know what it was? Well, because I thought I, you know, it was one of those things where I started talking and I like goal and objective, and then what's the A? Then- the A is what makes it a, a male sheep. The T E <laughs> is what makes it an acting exercise tool. That's the dip, big difference. Oh, uh, anyway, yeah, well, you were trying to make some sort of see point me before in I the next room at Yellow Tree. Uh, no, I was gonna say so. Uh, uh, but if you're not coming back as a ghost, uh, often you are coming back as another person or as a dog or as, as something, and, and something. You're, you're coming, yeah, you're coming back to, to finish some sort of mission or. Uh, I mean, yeah, the, most of these are mission movies, um, but uh, almost all the movies on that we're even yeah. going to almost all movies ever made by humans are mission movies. Essentially, you're you've got some problem to solve, something to discover, whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's again, that's that goal thing is very, very real. There, it's a, a joke and a cliche out in the world, and we've mentioned this on the show before. But the the big joke, if you want to make fun of a an actor who's got their head up their own ass, is to have them constantly acting, asking what their motivation is. And we right. treat that like, oh, you know, what a what a douche nozzle. But the reality is, if you're an actor who's not asking constantly what your motivation is in every scene you do and everything you do, your performance will be lifeless and listless because motivation is everything. And even if you're not sharing it with the audience, it's the whole point that drives things and make makes pretend things come to life is this the the thing behind your eyes has to be active. It can't be love because that's a photograph. If you're acting in a motion picture or a television show, it, you've got to want love or desire mm-hmm. love. That's what you play. You can't just play I'm in love. Correct. That's lame um, and boring and unactive. And so motivation, it's everything. And, and it's certainly everything behind these, behind reincarnation stories in particular. I No doubt I would agree. Right. Right. Um, and, you know, uh, so, yeah. And, and um, these, uh, and, and sometimes the mission is uh, to figure out, you know, um, well, and like, like the movie Switch, it's um, a bet. Um, an afterlife uh, bet 
Yeah. Um, and if he, you know, a sexist womanizer is killed by one of his former lovers and then recreated as a woman. Um, this was uh, this was it's Perry too bad because Switch really has nothing to do with death at all. Switch is just a, a switched movie like Big or like Freaky Friday. You know, it, it yeah, the guy dies. So it's on our list. But it's really just that you're this now and now you have to suffer. You're a skinny person. No, you're a fat person. You're a uh, misogynist jerk, and now you're a hot woman. Lame. Is that Blake Edwards that did Switch? It was Blake Edwards, yeah. Yeah, those are all Um, lame. We'll we'll give Big a pass because it's sweet, but even that movie's lame for my taste. Sorry. uh, Okay, well. Sorry, everyone who really loves Big. Yeah, uh, Heaven Can can Wait. Uh, That's a little different. Yeah. Um, But it's, I mean, it's, 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 it's. I've never seen Heaven Can Wait. but that's a little different. Um, I, yeah, I mean, it's a, the concept. He's, uh, you know, it's uh, this one is he was, uh, um, you know, um, a, he was accidentally taken. Um, and this was a, a quarterback for the L.A. Rams. And um, and he was he was taken too early. But he, instead, he. Um, but the body that he was in has been cremated, so. He uh, goes into the body of a recently murdered millionaire, um, and he still he wants to try to uh, he he buys the L.A. Rams and uh, and wants and uh, wants to uh, be their quarterback again. <laughs> it's pretty funny because the the Rams ownership changed around this same time over very mysterious circumstances. It was inherited by a Vegas showgirl that was the widow of this rich guy. This really happened in real life. And, uh, and of course, a few years later, they mm-hmm. moved to St. Louis under mysterious circumstances. And now they're owned by a regular douchebag millionaire, and they've moved back to L.A. So everything has been put right karmically, as you would say, if you were using karmic, karma completely wrong. But that is how we <laughs> use it. <laughs> So mm-hmm. F it. Let's go. Movie karma is justice. And of course, karma, yeah. karma has absolutely nothing to do with justice. You idiots. Uh, so this is kind of a switch film uh, it is. or kind of. Yeah. But it, it has an ele- It has that and it's an, element. It's of an unfinished to... business film. And, yep. Yep. and there is this idea in the afterlife that there's some organization to this that you were taken to earlier. Yeah. This was not your time. It was a mistake. Or you cheated death and you deserve to be dead this whole time. And death is waiting at the door for its next opportunity to take you. Yeah. Um, those are all kind of part of the same thing, which both heaven can waits the old classic version and the seventies remake. Yeah. Deal with. Um, and, uh, yeah. So then, uh, and then there's like, uh, well, infinite just came, came out. That's a, that's a, you, you just saw that. I haven't seen, that's the one. I yeah, do you seen. have a do you have a synopsis up for that where you can at least cut to the chase without me trying to explain what it was because it's it's high concept but it's really stupid. Yeah. Uh, Infinite is uh, directed by Antoine Fuqua. A man discovers his hallucinations are actually visions from past lives. Yeah, That's... the past lives part's hard to cope with because they all seem like they're part of the same present 
which is weird. Also, uh, Mark Wahlberg's the star of it, and the guy he was in a past life's like a better actor than him, and would have been more interesting. <laughs> in the movie, which is which is really a shame. Oh um, boy. And infinite. It's just a, it, it's just an excuse for a bunch of big stupid action, which is what it is—a big stupid action movie. Um, but it is interesting. All these people have these weird, you know, eons-long vendettas with one another because they keep coming back to life and they keep fighting the same battles. So there is a there is at least infinite has a is dealing with karma in a way that makes a little bit not a lot but a little bit of sense with what the sort of buddhist idea of what it actually is is and i appreciate that about it but that that's just that was that movie is a waste of your time as exciting yeah. as it is it's so bad and everybody seems to agree that it's bad so i don't i'm not quite sure how they got like paramount of all people i, I don't know how they got a big expensive piece of junk like that off the ground Mm-hmm. I mean, why oh. they thought in in the in the era where you can only open superhero movies, why they thought that would be good, and and uh, like the Tomorrow War, which is more last week's topic, but the, it's a similar thing where they made this two hundred million dollar movie that sucks, and what were they thinking? Like you watch it and you're like, this is this is the alternate to what people are buying today. I mean, this is what you had, you know, the tomorrow war mm -hmm. played it smart though. Tomorrow war sold itself to Amazon. It became Amazon's most watched thing. So even though it was a total bomb financially, it has this reputation of being a big success because it's this big streaming success right out of the yeah. gate. Infinite didn't even manage that. Infinite's infinite's bad. And I don't, I'm not a guy who hates Mark Wahlberg. We'll talk about him a little later in the show. Yeah, I, I, but but you can't just let him skate. You have to give him something to do. And this this film, it's a shame, but that mission part of it isn't clear. It's really just a bunch of people snarking and snipping at each other, and then when that breaks down, shooting at each other, and that's not good enough for a high concept movie, in my opinion. Right, um, a high concept that uh, that certainly did work at the time. Um, was getting reincarnated as a dog to solve your own murder. Was that a big hit um, movie? I don't remember. It's the, uh, it's the 1980s. Final, yeah, go ahead. Oh, Heavenly Dog. It's the final um, uh, Benji movie, I believe. Benji was a big, was a terrier of some type. Very well-trained dog. Dog movie star of the late 70s and 1980. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's a story, uh, it's a story of, a. is he, I can't remember if he's a journalist or a detective or what Chevy Chase is. He's a PI. Yep. He's, yeah, he's a, a private, private investigator who gets killed and is reincarnated as, um, the next victim's dog. And he has to solve his own murder and try and protect her at the same time. Who's the woman in it? She's great. It is, uh, Jane Seymour. She makes, Jane Seymour makes the movie because she's the one that has to interact with the dog. All Chevy Chase has to do is sit and do the AOR or the, you know, the vocal looping the via, after the yeah, whole thing's the, been the via, shot, yeah. basically. Uh, which he does pretty well, as you can imagine. He's, he's got a knack, like the, you know, just, you can write the thing and you can shoot the dog doing it. But when you actually adding voiceover to the dog's actions for an entire film, Matching that up's a bit of a trick that the movie pulls off pretty well. And Benji is an adorable dog. And Chevy's, like I said, he's got the right sort of comic timing and sardonic wit to, 
to work it out and it's a mystery mm -hmm. so there's that mystery part of it what's going to happen next you know uh beautiful woman in peril it it all plays pretty good i like i mean i haven't seen it in ages but i like yeah i like that. i remember loving it i remember yeah. loving oh heavenly dog uh above title billing for benji benji's the star of the show yep Chevy yeah. Chase and Benji. Well, it was the I like I said I believe it's the final Benji movie. There were there were like three or four of them, and and it he, Benji was a star, legit. He was uh -huh. a guy. He was a dog who opened movies, basically. So yeah, yeah. And this one is Chevy Chase and Benji are oh heavenly he oh, dog. heavenly dog. I, I love when they are or they is someone <laughs> yeah. is. That's always nice. The, yeah. Um, but we uh, then we have, you know, uh, there's a movie like uh, All of Me where uh, we, this is. Um, yeah, this a, is, a, this a, is a, comedian's, a yeah. comedian's bowl of gags for what reincarnation could or couldn't be. Really, yeah. really weird plot where an old dying gajillionaire Eris is sick and dying, played by Lily Tomlin, and they come up with this scheme to take her consciousness through all this ancient, I believe it's Indian, uh, magic and put her into the, put her spirit into the body of her, is it her maid or something? I can't remember, Victoria Tennant? Um, yes, it is Victoria who's Tennant. Gonna, who's who willing to is, sacrifice her yeah. own consciousness for this experiment. And of course... Um, kind of works and it kind of doesn't there's a scam going on i don't want to ruin all the plot details but all of me is hilarious it's got tons of phys it's lily tomlin and steve martin and it's steve martin and victoria Tennant who later married who have all kinds of chemistry and it's the three of them doing basically a farce based on you know this person is one person but it's speaking with a different voice and Mm -hmm. And there's a mystery and a plot afoot that is very, very funny. And Steve Martin's extremely funny in it. Because Steve Martin, by happenstance, I guess this part I can ruin, Steve Martin gets both him and Lily Tomlin in him at the same time. Yeah. And that's a thing that would be really, really difficult to deal with. Two, two spirits in one body. And that's the joke. And you need a really great comedian to pull that off. And it turns out... Spoiler alert, Steve Martin's a really, really great comedian. So that movie plays pretty, uh, pretty awesome. I think that guy's got a future. Um, <laughs> it's fun. <laughs> it's a kind of forgotten Steve Martin movie because it's not, it's not, it's, it's not as gay. I mean, even though the whole movie's a gag, it's not as like gag heavy as something like The Jerk or Dead Men no. Wear Plaid. It came a little la later after that and it's sweet and there's a heart to it and there's a romantic aspect to it that I think is nice. Even though, um, Culturally, reincarnation, the, 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 the um, Western Asian culture that it apes, all of that is totally offensive and terrible, as you would expect from a movie from that era. But it's all in the service of good fun, old-fashioned romance and hijinks, so it's, it's hard to mm -hmm. hate it, even after the fact. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then... Uh, and I guess yeah, I'll mention, because we all know Lily Tomlin, Steve Martin, great. Victoria Tennant's really, really good in it. She's got she's to play the actor. I mean, Steve Martin's got to play the person acting two people. She's got to play a duplicitous person, and that can be even trickier, and she does it with a plum, I think, in my opinion. So. Um, and then you have a movie like uh, Two of a Kind, 
Yeah. Um, where uh, kind of an afterlife it, movie and a reincarnation movie, both. Correct. Yeah. Where, and it's uh, not a ghost movie because, but it kind of is that too. It, it two of a kind is interesting because it has the only because re- it's not good. <laughs> so why is it here? Well, because it has it has this weird tangled up all the different aspects of these types of stories that we're talking about. To me, mm-hmm. that makes it sort of interesting. Uh, a guy who's created really ugly sunglasses that you can also eat in the future, played by John Travolta. That's how you know it's an 80s yep. movie. The only way it'd be more 80s is if he had a robot sidekick of some kind. Um <laughs> So he's uh, he gets in trouble with these mobsters, kind of like uh, Doc in Back to the Future, because he's needed all these loans to get these chemicals to make this fantastic product that's going to make him a millionaire. And he uh-huh. threw a twist of fate. Ha ha! Uh, that's the that's the song, the famous big hit song from the show. Sorry, it's a Olivia Newton-John song. It's really great. Check it out. Um, the songs are awesome. The movie, yes, is kind of terrible, but but in a great, very like I saw it on HBO watchable sort of way, Joel, would you kind of agree with that to some degree? Uh, yeah. Yeah. This is, this is, has a touch of, uh, uh, I watched it. I saw it on HBO. Yeah. A bunch of times. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah me too. It, uh, so anyway, it's hard. You got to get into the setup for this. He, he bumps into this woman who he gets into all kinds of trouble and they hate each other. And, Meanwhile, up in heaven, a giant cloud that sounds like Gene Hackman has decided that humanity sucks and he's going to destroy the world again and start over. And the angels up there played by some really great actors, Scatman Carruthers, Charles Durning is one of them. There's four of yep. them. I can't remember all of them, but it's uh, awesome. Oliver. Isn't Oliver? Is it Oliver Reed? Oliver and, Reed's the devil. Uh, he's Lucifer. Oh, that's right. He's a, uh, it's uh, Vincent <laughs> Bufano. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. And I think Richard Bright is the other one. That would make sense, uh, but yeah. yeah. But anyway, um, they they're they're like you said you would never do that again. You said you wouldn't destroy the world again, like the flood and everything, and. And uh, it's we and and the devil is wrapped up in this. Oliver Reed, who you know was uh, really in bad shape at this point in his life, but he is he's hamming it up. There's a moment in the film where everything's gone haywire, and they're in this swanky like tavern in the green restaurant, and the sprinkler system has come on and it's destroyed everything. And he comes walking up the steps, leaving the restaurant in the rain, and he sings when the rain comes. Just the best. I mean, that's actually really whoever dreamed that up, whether it was the filmmakers or who wrote it. Okay, you really did sort of nail a moment because Oliver Reed swinging a cane, singing "When the Rain Comes," they'll run and hide their heads. They might as well be dead. <laughs> with all this yeah. madness, with all this old school, you know, madcap. It's a wonderful. It's a uh, not a wonderful. It's a. It's a something 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 world or whatever that hell that movie is it's uh, fun yeah it's fun and that's a fun movie with a fun romance with lots of really good uh olivia newton john songs in it and i dig it even though it's terrible gene hackman you know can't that's the voice as the voice gene of god hackman, yeah voice of god do, could they have done better than that in 1984 i don't think they could have no and he he decided to uh go uncredited because he wanted to just uh you know, he didn't want to detract from the edible glasses, I guess. <laughs> well, <laughs> um, I mean, it, it's undeniably him. 
Although yeah. they could have done what Delta Airlines did and just hired his brother, who sounds just like him. Um, lots of lots of David Foster music on this soundtrack. Yeah, he produced the soundtrack. Oh, it's yeah. actually David Foster's first soundtrack. Oh, but, really? Yeah, yeah. He was brought in to produce the the um, the Olivia Newton John songs. She's like half the album, and then mm -hmm. uh, and then and then he his it's his little stable of other people. Chicago has a song in it. Um, yep, Boskags, Patty, not Patty uh, Labelle, but uh, Patty, Patty Austin. Austin. Steve Steve Kipner. Yep. Steve Kipner, who wrote uh, "Let's Get Physical," he makes an appearance. So I, yeah, so I know yep. everything about that soundtrack, as you would expect. The soundtrack helps. It helps a lot. It elevates the thing. You know what I mean? The the movie mm -hmm. score is actually done by somebody else, Elmer Bernstein, or somebody like that. But I but, believe you're right. Yes. But it really is. It really is David's songs that fill the thing up, and that is fun and it's a fun romantic thing but what i like about it is we spend time in heaven we spend time with the devil he is sent back reincarnated kind of as himself he's sent back into a moment in time of his death where they save him and give him another 24 hours or whatever to make things right it's like a it's like a test of wills so mm -hmm. it's got all the elements of of that in it even though it's stupid it, it is stupid in a you should, unless you're really cynical, you should be able to have fun with this. It is absolute. If it, it's absolutely a slice of life film from 1984. Olivia um, Newton-John's hair yep. in the music videos is <laughs> massive. In the movie, in the movie, not so much. And it's it's the idea was, you know, John Travolta, who turned down every great movie of the early 80s to do movies that weren't so great needed a hit movie so they, they it was the, bring the two people from greece back together the director and let's do this fun thing that let's do some can't miss idea for a, a hit movie and of course it 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 missed baby like just yeah. completely and that's that's the irony when you try and do that in the music world or the movie world uh it's it's I like that. I like the ambition mm -hmm. behind it because I like when you set out to rule the charts or when you set out to to have the huge movie that can't be resisted, you know, with the big release date and all the attention. I like going for it, but this movie didn't manage it because it's just too stupid. It's so stupid. But um, let's fun. talk about let's talk about my favorite of of reincarnation film, and that would be Dead Again. Oh yeah, Dead Again. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, in um, so we have uh, Kenneth Branagh, Emma Thompson at their uh, when they um, at their couply best, um, yeah, at newlyweds basically when they were making yeah. this movie, and um, yeah, um, and we have uh, and we have uh, sorry, phone call came in there, and um, we all know that sound, yep. We have, uh, so then we have, yeah, it's so dead again. We have, it's great uh, twist, um, this fantastic uh, plot line of a private detective trying to help a, a, a woman with amnesia. A mystery woman is. with no memory. Yeah, mi yep. Uh, trying to Why are mystery women is. with no memory and no actual burned in opinions so attractive to us males? That's a question for all you guys out there. <laughs> <laughs> i'm sorry um, it's just you know then, ask because yeah. i won't deny it they are i mean let's just be real 
But, geez, God, we're terrible. Because the reason is because they can be whatever we want them to be. Mm-hmm. And they don't come with any baggage or any complications. You know, that's that's the nope. best kind of woman you can find is just one wandering the street who has no idea who they are. But it, it's more uh, than that. It's got a great... It, it's a Hitchcock-styled mystery in how it's shot and lit. But it's um, But it's also about reincarnation and we explore the idea of reincarnation through hypnosis where the great Derek mm-hmm. Jacobi um plays a hypnotist who who it does things that normal hypnotists do like helps people like quit smoking and stuff like that but while he's doing that he explores their reincarnated lives to collect antiques that he sells for a profit yeah yeah, it's a little more subtly handled than Ghost handles the same idea, but it's super funny. Um, because yeah. <laughs> he's an antique dealer as well, and it's Dead Again is again Dead Again doesn't hold up very well. I thought Dead Again was effing genius when I saw it when it, back in nineteen ninety two or whatever ninety one, but with time, no, sorry, Rob, time hasn't been super kind to dead again. It, it has a lot of horrible cliches in it. It has that mm-hmm. weird battle of the sexes thing. That's strange, but it's got really fun, really fun turn by, by, uh, Andy Garcia. He's fantastic in it. Um, Campbell Scott shows up in a cameo and he's great in it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Robin Williams know. shows up as a, a, in a great cameo. Yeah. Well, it's not uh, even a cameo. It's, it should be. And Robin Williams. The only reason we call it a cameo yeah. is because he's not credited, but he's an important part of the movie. Cause unlike the hypnotist, he basically explains, uh, well, he, unfortunately he explains to us, he's Johnny, the explainer. He does it. It's Robin. He's great. He does it in a very fun way. But he explains to us what karma means, and he explains karma all wrong. And I really do feel like this movie's not to blame, but Hollywood is largely to blame for what our idea of that word is. And in this yeah. in this world, it is it's justice, it's revenge, it's payback, and that isn't what it is. It's really not what it is. That's the opposite of that. It's breaking the cycle of that. That what is what karma really is about, or should be about. You're reincarnated to get things right, but not to get back at those who wronged you. That's really right. perverted. Yeah. yeah. That's an extremely perverted idea of what it is. And yet it's karma's a bitch. You know, that's what we all, we all trot, all us idiot Western people, we all trot that out all the time because we think it's funny. But yep. it's, it's, I don't know. I don't mean to dwell on that, but I just think it's shameful the way we use that word when it, it really is a religious word with a very beautiful meaning. Yeah. Uh, like Bill Maher says, it's still full of shit, but, you know, but beautiful and nice. And we even can't even, we can't even deal with our fantasies in a nice way anymore because we're so yeah. awful. Uh, this movie shows just how awful we are, though. And that way it gets a lot of that stuff right. And it's really, really entertaining. So right. I, I like it. Um, yeah, I still no, like I, it when I, I watch it, but. It, it's, I mean, it's fun. I mean, well, now we can watch it with a sense of nostalgia and, and yeah. feel that, that feeling of how exciting it was to see it for, um, for. And how fun it was to and, see an, and, uh, an entire cast of English people trying to play Americans, in, both, <laughs> both in modern America and mm-hmm. in old golden age of Hollywood, Hollywood, they get to do both yeah. because of reincarnation and. It's kind of except Ken. Ken got to do a German. Ken yeah. got to do a, a German accent. Um, 
But um, but his American accent is it's hard to explain. It's it's its own thing. Yeah. It's I mean it's I don't it's hard for me to call it bad because I don't think that it is bad. But it's not right. It's its own thing. It's like it's this mm-hmm. own way of talking that is not <clears throat> natural and yet. That's fun. The whole movie's this artifice. It's a house of cards kind of movie. So the fact that it's built on the that's not what brings it down. I yeah. think what brings it down <clears throat> is I really do believe it's it's the perversion of the idea of karma and the fact that at its heart the thing is just a cheap revenge movie. And right. that's too bad in the end. Um and the uh the so then the the, the, the look next... on the look on Wayne Knight's face at the end of the movie says it all basically. Yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah. <laughs> it's great. It's so good. Yeah, it is. Um it's fun. Then um so then we have the the last chunk of films that are uh, deal with uh uh that actual what happens and where do you go after you die? Uh and and, this and idea why of and for what purpose or hell yeah. yeah for why what purpose but these um, movies even though and and to be fair like I said two of a kind sort of does this too it really does it's a great one because it rides mm-hmm. the line but w- between all of them you really do visit heaven in that thing um these are these are interesting I I didn't mean to cut you off you just go ahead yeah what? no no I was just gonna say I was gonna bring up uh, uh always uh first. Um, always a good we should be when we talk about always we talk about um, uh, heaven can wait you know we should be talking about the the original films that launched these concepts and of course we're talking about the remakes always is a remake of a a very beloved uh, baby boomer as children film called a guy named Joe which is about a guy who's killed during World War II a, a pilot um, and has to come back and mentor uh, another young pilot, has to basically sit on his shoulder and be his guardian angle, angel. And what complicates things is that the the person he's being an angel for, the person he's mentoring, ends up falling in love with his former lover, and that's that creates all this crazy tension. And that's same thing in Always, except Always takes place in 1989 when it was made. And um, it's about uh, forest firefighters. And it's it had the misfortune of being about forest firefighters at a time when forest fires, were, like, compared to now, weren't even all that important. And yeah. so it, you take that heroic World War II aspect out of the movie and it, 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 they even mention it in the movie. And yet they just should have just shut up and not mentioned it. Because by comparison, <laughs> well, I get why they did it. Like yeah. it, in a way that's good screenwriting. It's a reference to the other film. You know, John Goodman has this speech where he's like, it's not war, buddy. It's forest fires. It's ridiculous that you're out there taking such risks um, for relatively small stakes. And of course, Richard Dreyfus is our hero in this. He ends up paying the price for it. Richard Dreyfus and Holly Hunter who have who are in multiple films together and have an amazing chemistry together and yet this film feels I don't know what's always it feels a little off the rails to me it feels like Dreyfus and Hunter and Goodman's like the craziest part of their personalities in real life are in charge of their characters and always somehow does that make any sense mm-hmm. they're zany mm-hmm, yeah, and wacky so. to the point that you that it's really hard to buy into anything that they're going through. And they're all already really broad performers to begin with. 
which is good because they can all hold their own with each other, which is important, but it, it's, uh, it's problematic. Anyway, Richard Dreyfus dies. The reason it's in the heaven and hell thing is because heaven is this burnt-out forest where nature is coming back to life, and it's really, really beautiful. The movie was shot by uh, Mike, Michael Solomon, the fantastic cinematographer, and the fire and the sunsets and the backlit, B-12 bombing plane and the night scenes. It's just all of it. It's just effing beautiful. It's one of the most beautiful movies in 1989. Um, and the angel that sends him back and tells him what his mission is, is Audrey Hepburn, who Spielberg got to come out of retirement. And who could be better? Audrey Hepburn in like a white pantsuit in the afterworld telling Richard Dreyfus, hey, go, go, you know, it, if somebody did this mm -hmm. for you at some point, man. This is your this before you can move on to whatever the next thing is. You gotta go do this. You gotta go help the next guy. The next guy out. It was I can't remember Brad Johnson or Bruce. Or it is uh, yeah, Brad Johnson. Brad yeah. Johnson is okay. is the young pup who need who needs a lot of help. Needs too mm -hmm. much help. Again, he's he's almost clownishly incompetent. Um, that's where the movie goes wrong. It's just too heightened and too corny and too silly, but, but it looks gorgeous. It's got beautiful music, of course, by John Williams, since it's a Spielberg movie and, and, and it, it, and Guy Named Joe and Always by extension has this beautiful idea complicated by real heartbreak. And, and it's one, it's, I guess, Ghost 2 definitely has moments where Demi Moore just is despondent over grief. It's another movie where Holly Hunter's character is, is anchored herself in, in place, refusing to move on emotionally and in her life because of her intense grief yeah. over the loss of this person that she was super in love with. And those scenes actually play, play pretty good. I, I kind of dig them. So, so it's not all bad, but you know, that's always. Yeah. Um, and then you have, uh, <laughs> um, I'm trying to decide where to go, uh, from always do I go with, well, I, I mean, I, we may, we will talk about this at another time. Uh, but another, um, uh, but another version of what happens after you die is, uh, Albert Brooks is defending your life. Um, which is, uh, yeah, you see, we'll talk about it another time, but when are we going to talk about it in the Albert Brooks episode? I mean, I don't, I don't. I hardly That's watch any of his other movies. Oh, like that well, episode is never going to come. So we can. All right. We, let's, let's. We're an hour and 10 minutes it, into the show, man. Let's hop in and take on Defending Your Life. Even though it's one of my yeah. favorite movies of all time, it's certainly yeah. one of my top favorite comedies of all time. And yeah, as far as American comedies, it's probably top three. So, so Joel's like, what Joel's saying is this is movie's a big deal to us. <laughs> but. It, and, and maybe is. this episode it, isn't the place to really dive into it, but let's dive in a little bit. Let's dive into the shallow end at least. Yeah, defending your life is uh, <laughs> defending your life is um, from 1991, and it's um, when you when you die, you go to a place called Judgment City um, that handles the the in this case, this Judgment City uh, handles. Uh, uh, handles all of the you know all of the north American Northwest, western region dead dead um and you are judged uh you are essentially put on trial it's not a trial not a trial but yes but, but it, yes but it is a trial. 
it is. <laughs> um, on uh, essentially whether you have overcome enough of your fear to move so on to, to the other places, on. to the other destinations that the universe mm -hmm. has to offer. Yeah. And and so so Albert Brooks plays our our, our hero who is uh, Albert Brooks <laughs> and uh, in all of his Albert Brooksiness. Yeah, um, I mean, written, and, directed, and starring Albert Brooks, and it it is the to me it's the it's Albert Brooks personified yeah. in every way, oh. in every minor character, which the film is filled with, where everybody who even has a line in it is has this full bodied personality to them that's a that's a feature of albert brooks movie but no more so than in this the person that gives him eggs at the restaurant to anybody you bump into <laughs> like anywhere for any reason is 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 a yep is a big character in the thing and and i love that about it i mean i just love the you know the woman talking about her dog in the tram and i just oh my the, the guy who owns the script clubs by the airport at the japanese yep. restaurant yep I mean, they're uh, all even, they're, It's populated with magical, wonderful, except but deeply flawed people. The bellhop that yeah. brings him to his room—that guy is genius as well. Yeah, uh, Gary Beach as the as the car salesman uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. who's selling him his <laughs> car at the beginning, and well, and James Eckhouse, who everybody knows from Nine Hundred Two One Zero, driving yeah. him in the driving him in the big Hummer, and he's like, "What do you What do you know?" He's like, "Well, if uh, the you know." earthquake hits i'm i'm gonna be okay it's, and like, it's there's a lot of social commentary oh about the, that it's... era in american life no doubt mm -hmm. but what it and... really is and why it's so awesome is that it's a love story two people who couldn't be more different and couldn't have dealt with their fears differently in life meet and for some reason in judgment city with them both you know spoiler alert going in different directions frankly fall in love and that's a lot there's a lot at stake there. The woman's played by Meryl Streep of all people. Yeah, which you look at look at her other movies. I guess this was just an interesting role for her. It was at the time she just she done or was about to do like Death Becomes Her and stuff. So she was doing all kinds of goofy stuff. She Devil was before or after this movie. I can't remember which, but either way, she was. This was a, a very unserious part for Meryl to take on. But she's mm -hmm. delightful in it. She's she's again, she's such a real person who's got a, quite a bit of depth to them. And and even though she's this naturally nice and kind person that everybody loves, she's got an edge to her too that makes her real and come to life on screen in a way that I adore. She has that line to him when they're out on their second date together, when she's like, um, "I'm gonna leave and go to the bathroom. When I come back, I hope you've changed." <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and she means it, and that's harsh. Yeah. That's a that's a harsh thing to hear. So, <laughs> it's yeah, I, yeah, and yeah. But and what it really is is you're the, the you've got an advocate, you've got a defense lawyer. We, we hate to call it a trial because they make a real big deal in the movie. It's not a trial, <laughs> but you have a defense yeah. looter, you've got a prosecutor. You are going to look at a certain number of days of your life. The day the number of days is based on how well a life you've lived. They don't say that, but that's clearly true. And and if you're looking at a lot of days and incidents of fear or incidents of you overcoming fear, you have to prove to a two-panel judge, set of judges who've seen it all, that you're worthy of moving on, moving onward. 
because we humans only use, we've been told this, only use what, 2 to 5% of our brains, they say. Mm-hmm. And and what's he say in his first meeting with his defense attorney, played by Rip yeah, Torn, like, and my, one Torn. of my favorite all-time Rip Torn performance. Rip's had his problems, man, but we, it's hard yeah. not to love him in this. It's just really hard not to love him in it. Oh, and, and it's really yeah, hard yeah. not to love him forever after seeing this, which is the kind of role we're talking about. Um, but he says, yeah, you don't want to, you don't want to live, you don't want to, if you, you use more than 2% of your yeah. brain, you don't want to you use more than, uh, you, you, all people on earth use between three two, and 5% three of your brain, 2% of your brain. Uh, it, and it's like, well, what happens if you use more than 5%? Oh, you don't want to be on earth anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You don't want to be on earth. Yeah. If yeah, if yeah, if you, if you're using more than 5% of your brain, you don't want to be. The real genius of the movie, like I said, the love story is great. The fact that the fact that the afterlife is this strip mall filled century city looking antiseptic suburban nightmare, which like half suburban nightmare, half like amusement park, basically, you know, where everyone's telling you to keep your hands inside at all times. and, and, And you're just going on this these crazy experiencing these crazy exhibitions the the past lives pavilion is a really really great mm-hmm. past one. lives pavilion you can eat anything so this you is kind of go this is also in the reincarnation yeah. realm too yeah but yeah, what's because, so awesome yeah, about the movie joel get... is that our hero is condescended to even by his friends constantly it the whole afterlife condescends mercilessly to us and if you identify with this hero everybody looking down on you and this guy has to go through all the humiliations of his childhood he's got to relive them all and they are they are truly humiliating and and Mm -hmm. and it that's the part of the thing that rings true i read a review of a kid it just came out criterion put it out yay out on blu-ray finally and it's got the best format release a movie like that possibly can and a kid he's just a gen z kid he's a good reviewer but he's reviewing this thing and he was watching the the movie and 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 he he hated it he had this guttural hateful reaction to it and what he didn't like about it was that everybody's so mean all the time and I thought it was funny, generationally, reading this guy, who I knew to be somebody who could kind of deal with these things substantively, because I've read his other stuff, couldn't handle the fact that Albert Brooks saw the world as a place that is constantly handing you failure and humiliation at one after another, and that the movie really is about conquering those things. And the movie's not even really about conquering them, Joel. It's about... It's about... it Because he doesn't. This character doesn't mm-hmm. really conquer his fears what he does is in one great shining moment he chooses to do the brave thing and and that that's one of the most glorious moments in all of film to me because it's because it's set up with him just getting hammered into the dirt repeatedly with bad luck and just and and this sort of humiliating way that the universe condescends to all of us even our friends even our defense attorneys Look at us like we're small-brained little things that need to be patted on the back and and you know keep your chin up, soldier. And it just it 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 just everything about it makes you feel so small <laughs> yeah. and pathetic. And 
And oh, man. and but you want to believe that that if given the opportunity at true love and happiness in the universe for eternity, that you'd do the right thing. But would you? The movie it's not entirely clear what's going to happen in the film, and I just I adore I adore it for that reason. It's it's a terrible look at the afterlife, but that's what's so great about it. The afterlife's just yeah. It just like here, ex- except people are more justified sort of in treating you like dirt because they're because they use 52% of their brain or whatever. And you only use that, three to five. Is that clocked? clocked. Is that clocked? Get Buck Henry. The whole movie's full of <laughs> Buck Henry. So I like that. I like that. <laughs> that look, the look that other books gives them. <laughs> oh so. my God. Buck Henry, oh. aw, you think I let you down? Because his his defense attorney doesn't show up one day, so he gets this other guy who, who very quiet but excellent. Yeah, <laughs> a defense attorney who says nothing to help him. Yep, he gets all mad at Rip Torn the next yep. day. He's like, oh, you think I let you down? Where were you? You wouldn't, you wouldn't understand. understand. I'm, not, I'm not saying that to be condescending. I'm saying you literally wouldn't understand. Try me. I was lost in the inner circle of thought. I was trapped near the inner <laughs> circle of inner fault. Circle of, uh, <laughs> a fault. That's what it is. Yeah. Near the I was trapped near the inner circle of fault. And what does he say? I don't understand. I am going to get you some pies. It, the whole movie is... <laughs> The whole movie's great, it, it be, and it, with respect to this writer that who I like, it, that's yeah. the point, man. You missed the point. It that's mm. maybe you don't live through that, or maybe you look at life a different oh, way. Maybe boy. it is a generational thing. It's a baby boomer thing. It's, it's somewhat a Gen X thing, or we wouldn't connect with it so strongly. Mm-hmm. I don't think, but it, th- those humiliations that he suffered are crucial because that's been his whole life, and it, yeah. they're not all caused by him, but plenty of them are, and right. And that idea that you got to overcome fear, man, it, it, it really is true. I don't think you can. I think we are creatures of our own fears and we're slaves to them to some degree. Yeah. But every once in a while, you just got to take a leap. You got to take that step or you're going nowhere. Most philosophers agree on that. And the film, yeah. the film proves it in a wonderful way, man. They're... Meryl and his first kiss where they get all turned around and end up going the wrong way at the, to their... Mm-hmm. Yep. It's beautiful and wonderful and hilarious all at the same time. And I don't know what more you can ask of from a comedy. So, yeah. so if you learn one thing from this episode about the afterlife, and it, if you haven't seen Defending Your Life, I mean, you got to see it. it it's, it's one of a kind. It's really, really spectacularly good. And, yes. and, I, and I just think everybody should see it. I think it's that good. I, I spent my... Because it wasn't a big hit. It was put out by Geffen Movies, who didn't promote it. It's not really for anybody. It's certainly not a romantic comedy in its standard sense. It's high concept. It's too weird to be an art house movie. It's too cheap to be a big adventure film. So it's, what do you have? You have this thing for nobody. It's But it. I really believe that the high concept nature of it allows Albert to just be... Uh, no holds barred about his sort of greater philosophy about life and mm-hmm. the, the suffering of life and the, and the, the big victorious moments of life. And I think that's, that's what you get on screen. It's his best movie in my opinion. So, um, 
Yeah, it, it it's it's that. Uh, God, I love it so much. He wakes um, up in the morning and he turns on a game show, and the game show doesn't have a lot of context. It's called Face Your Fear, and yeah. uh, we're we join it in progress, so we don't know what's going on. But there's this very sad looking old lady standing at uh uh some kind of Jeopardy looking podium or whatever, and the host says. You tried, you failed. The game is over for you. Over for you. Wait here, and someone will come get you. <laughs> and then he moves on with a smile to the guy who won. Mm-hmm. And it's it's that man. That that's that little speech. Everybody in your life, to some degree, is gonna is that's what you're gonna get from life. Yep. And you just you got to do your best to, to overcome it. Again, I, I don't think the movie thinks you have to not have any fears. I think it just shows you that you, you, you got to pick your moment to be brave and, and just go for yeah. it. Yep. You may um, you may not get what you want. You may fall flat on your face, but but you right. have to do it so that you don't get stuck in regret or trapped near the inner circle of fault for the rest of your existence. Right. Um, one of the uh, one of the most beloved sort of depictions of the afterlife of, of what happens after you die of heaven um, is uh, Robin Williams in what dreams may come. Really? Uh, yeah. I thought too. I know, but when I was telling, I think even though it bombed, it's something that is that, that people like remember it even t- you know, well, from the visually, it's based on a bunch of fine art, and that's brought to living life cinematically in an amazing way. So, yeah, visually, it's yeah. off the hook, good in a way. Yeah, because when I, you know, when I was tell, like when I was working on this, uh, and I, you know, people, I, I was working on this, um, putting the list together mm-hmm. um, yesterday, and some of my my classmates were like. You know what do you what do you what are you working on? What do you what's the show about? Uh, and I said, well, we're going to be talking about movies that deal with with death and heaven and the afterlife and stuff. And and to a person, every single one of one of them is like, oh, like what dreams may come. I'm like, uh, yeah. What, what dreams do? may come is a story about a couple who are very much in love with a couple of children and living the good life. It's a psychologist, and he is trying to help out in an auto accident. And he gets killed in an accident and goes to heaven, and he meets his. It, it, what, one thing that's very cool about this is this afterlife, when he dies, everybody who ever lived is already dead. <laughs> because that's yeah. what it would be like. There would be the concept of time in the afterlife is nothing like the concept of time here. So your day of judgment, whenever that comes, is the same for everybody. And you're all there. And, and of course, afterlife's great because you can take on whatever persona you want. And we'll talk, that's coming up in another movie. Like you can just be what you want. You can be your ultimate self. You can have your ultimate heavenly avatar when you're there you can live in whatever house you want you can kind of do whatever you want the whole thing's a uh, limitless wish fulfillment fantasy with a catch um even though he's in heaven and he's being greeted comfortably um by at least one of his children i don't want to spoil the whole thing it, it it's obvious what's going on in the movie but the film for whatever reason because it's stupid i guess holds back quite a bit of information from you but the big setup for the movie is that his wife is it annabella Sioria plays his wife correct she didn't deal with his loss when he was taken from her and she killed herself and if you kill yourself you get uh, they call it's kind of like hell but it's it, it is hell i guess you, you you 
you you don't get condemned for killing yourself, but the act of suicide snaps your soul in a way that you can't recognize the good things that are around you. They make a big deal of saying, you know, she's it's she's not been judged or condemned. She's she's judged and condemned herself, and that's something from an afterlife perspective that we, has never been snapped. No one's ever been able to snap somebody out of that. I gave up on everything. Sort of final decision place. And Robin Williams, because he's a romantic, he refuses to believe that, and he takes this epic journey into the underworld to find her, which they say he's not going to do. And then when he finds her to break through to her using his sort of pop psychology of the movie and to bring her back so that they can all be a family in heaven, he cannot rest until he settles this idea. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's so dumb. Everybody's awful in it. Cuba's awful in it. Robin Williams is terrible in it. He's, he does the, the big Robin Williams smile, I think 47 times in it, where you can maybe do that twice in a movie. If the movie's hook, you can't right. keep doing it. The whole movie, the whole film is cheesy and dumb, but it's visually so arresting. And the idea is, like I said, it's romantic in a romantic way, but it's romantic in a fine art sort of way. It's a big romantic movie, literally. And, and you can, if you leave your cynicism at the door, you can be carried away by it for that reason. Yeah. But it's idea of the afterlife is, is very much like ghosts. It's very storybooky and simplistic and, and condescending, but not in a good way. And that's the thing. That's the problem I have with it. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of a, a a slight take on like the Orpheus and Eurydice myth. Yes, yes. Um, and that and, that's yeah. what's great. I just wish there was a little less. There's just a saccharine sweetness to it that it even in its darkest moments it can't overcome, which mm-hmm. is weird because uh, Vincent Ward, who wrote and directed it, um, it's like he doesn't concern himself with that stuff, which is unusual because usually his his dramas that he's made up until that point where it's almost cinema verite in their realism. And so it's very, very weird to see a, just an absolute, just to see an idea like this undone by its corniness at the same time in at the chip that it has it, it, still in its corner is that it is a big, broad, massive operatic thing. So having big, broad operatic, drama at the heart of it doesn't undo it it just means it's not going to be everybody's cup of tea because it's so kind of off the wall but i I still love the visuals in it i wish it would have been treated a little bit better on home video because it's never had a really beautifully done video transfer and it it is a beautiful movie i don't think anyone can deny that it's just visually it's just stunning that you know just kind of incredible in fact and i yeah i so I do I, I revisit it from time to time for that reason, cinematography and colors and uh, art direction and and the digital visual designs are as good as anything from the era in it. So, mm-hmm. And they're based um, like Joel said, they're based on the based on these old myths, based on these big famous pieces of art. Really, really neat stuff. Yeah. Um. And then uh, you, so we have a movie, then we have a movie like Flatliners that is exploring um, what happens after you die by literally trying to do science experiments. To, to figure out you, what happens after you die. Yeah. Kiefer Sutherland yeah. plays a med student who's obsessed with, with 
with near-death experiences and his answer to that is to use medical technology to both kill a subject and then revive them after they've had a near-death experience as scientists to report what they've seen and experienced. And mm-hmm. it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a Joel Schumacher directed it. It's very, had very, you know, it's very, uh, it's, it's like a cross between Joel's other films, um, Lost Boys and St. Almost Fire, maybe. <laughs> um, sure. Yeah, it's like a mix of those ideas, right? It's very yeah. much in his yeah. wheelhouse. And it, it, I think it works because of that, because it's not a very good movie. But but that idea is audacious. And it and it, there's the film pulls off, I think, the resuscitation scenes and the... I think all that actually plays pretty realistically. And the fantasy sequences aren't full of digital nonsense like like uh mm-hmm. what dreams may come they're they're otherworldly and they're dreamlike and they're kind of amazing but they're they're just they're done very simply with the sort of camera technology at the time and i think that's awesome the the sad thing is even though these experiences are wondrous in the moment there are hidden meanings in them that that haunt these characters who go through this experience it's Kiefer Sutherland Julia Roberts Kevin Bacon Oliver Platt Oliver Platt thank god Oliver Platt's in this movie thank god (laughs) yeah because if you really hate it you still have Oliver Platt to get you to the end and and he does and and with flying colors he's great and uh uh um Daniel Baldwin is the other one Billy Billy William oh yeah not Daniel William Baldwin he's not in anything he still yeah. counts. He's a Baldwin, but the, he's yeah, a Baldwin. Sorry. But William, 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 uh, when he was about, he was just about to do backdraft, and his big movies were coming up. His big movie star movies. So, yeah. and Julie Roberts was just super, getting super famous. This was the year after Pretty Woman, or whatever, or the year after, yeah, Pretty Woman, year before Dying Young, I guess. Uh, yeah. So. So she was his big superstar, and that so it's it's cool. It's it's got a lot of star power in it, and it makes Schumacher say what you want about him, but he makes really good use of his star power. He knows kind of who his stars are. He knows who his non-stars are, and he knows what their star-like qualities are, and those always come through in all of his films. And so you know he did kind of do something right as a filmmaker. But this film's it's about atonement. It's about atonement. Again, it's about atonement for the wrongs that you've done. And it's actually deals with karma in a way that is um, still not right, but much, much closer to the intent of the philosophy than anything we've seen in these movies up to this point. And I really dig that about it. Um, I dig that about it. And, it and, and the scary moments are genuinely scary, I think. It's, it, has a, it has a horror movie haunting aspect to it that I think is pretty effective. Wouldn't you yeah. think it had yeah. one of the best movie trailers I think I've ever seen too. It, it didn't live yeah. up to the trailer, but the trailer is really good. A movie like flatliners got so much visually going on in it. And it's got such a high concept that all you really have time to do is to introduce the concept. And then you've got to get out after two minutes. And I think a lot of trailers yeah. suffer because their concepts are, they just show you the whole movie and this one can't do that. 
think that's cool too. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I remember, yeah. I remember flatliners. I mean, I, I do, I've always, I always loved the idea of, you know, of, well, look, we're scientists. We're not theologians. We're not whatever. We're going to, we're the ones who should solve this problem. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to figure out using science what happens after you die and um yeah and then and then the consequences that come from that um the um we have two we have two movies left okay. uh two movies that um that are are very um well one of them is is just one of just a lovely lovely movie and the other one is lovely lovely bones <laughs> <laughs> um yeah lovely bones the is going to be bones. although lovely yeah. bones got middling reviews but it was going to be part of our underrated episodes from back way back when but we whenever that movie came out we didn't get anywhere near the 2000s whatever <laughs> right we just, we didn't get it anywhere near lovely bones on the list plus lovely bones would have been by the time we got our lists done it would have been disqualified because it got like kind of reviews in the 50s ish stuff like mm-hmm. that so because it was a film that it was a rare film that critics didn't like, but that audiences really, really connected with. It came out during the holidays. Its audiences were almost entirely, not entirely, but like really, really weighted toward females who went to see it. And they kept it in the top 10 for almost two months and ended up making almost a hundred million bucks for having a really, really weak opening. That's unusual that you, kind of only happens at the holidays too if they'd have tried to release this in the summer or something it would have come and gone and that would have been the end of it yeah but it's based on the follow-up novel by alice siebold to her autobiographical novel which was just in the news for crazy reasons which i think we don't have time left in the show to get into (laughs) right but alice is a really really vivid writer and she writes about really really heavy things and that she she writes about uh, sexual assault and rape and she writes about death and uh, she writes you know she kind of explains psychologically grief and um, infidelity and just the uh, really really complicated things in our lives that it is that it takes a, a poet and an admirable one to sort of get to the heart of these things and her book really really does that but her book is this sprawling sort of epic thing about a young girl who falls prey to a uh, pedophile murderer. Um, And it's about her not being able to let go of her life. She's just a kid. She had a lot going for her. And it's about her family not being able to cope with the hole that she leaves in her life. So we touched on this just a little bit in a couple of the movies we've talked about, but this movie really, really is about grief and it's about the process of letting go and how absolutely challenging that is i remember reading one particularly dismissive review at the time saying i'm going to make the afterlife look like it's a 70s album cover and i was like Mm. yes that's i mean it's like that wasn't an accident you asshole that that is what it is Mm -hmm. because the kid was a teenager in the 70s what the hell of course (laughs) she she's she's manifesting all this stuff that she's experiencing as a way to cope with the fact that she'd been raped and murdered Mm-hmm. don't be a dick about that i mean you can not like the movie the movie's got some issues it's it isn't for everybody but i i don't understand yeah you know it's got a really amazing score by brian eno it's it's a difficult book to adapt and fran walsh peter jackson's wife peter jackson 
Fran Walsh. The people who made the Lord of the Rings films made this movie, but it really was Fran Walsh's baby. She really connected with that that <clears throat> story, and re- she was the one that really, really wanted to make it into a film. And DreamWorks, after a lot of budget negotiating, allowed Peter Jackson to make it. And it's got it's got all the things that are great about a, a modern Peter Jackson film, and all the things that are bad about it, which is it is overblown to some degree. It's it's much more effect heavy and busy in that way than it needs to be to be effective. It it really could be scaled back, I think, in a, in a lot of ways and 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 be better. Would get to us better, and we'd be able to relate to it easier um, emotionally. But it has some emotional. You know, Mark Wahlberg came into this film. We were said we threatened that we would talk about him later. Here he is. <laughs> he replaced Ryan Gosling a couple days into shooting, or a couple days before shooting started, like just absolutely at the last minute. And he plays uh, the father of this girl. The girl, the main character, is um, what's her name? Susie Salmon. Sir- yeah, uh, played by Saoirse Ronan. Yeah, great. I mean, Saoirse Ronan is so effing good it's hard to i mean dakota fanning maybe i'm trying to think of the actors at the at the time this was made who could have done this there are a couple others but she is perfect she was absolutely the perfect choice susan sarandon in it she's great rachel vice is fantastic in it even though most of rachel's plot got cut out of the movie <laughs> she still does a really really great job um I can't remember the girl who plays her daughter stanley tucci plays the bad guy such as it is He's, he's, I mean, he's less of a mm-hmm. bad guy as he's just this malevolent dark force that just sort of invades our normal world. It's, it, it, it's, he, it's a really difficult performance and he does a really, really good job. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. So what's the big criticism about it? I like the idea of the afterlife. You have to let go. You're not letting go and your family's not letting go and your connection through time through other worlds, through other dimensions, is harming you all. Somehow you have to make peace with this. And the family manages to make peace with it. And this is important. The family manages to make peace with it without justice being done. And Mm -hmm. peace without justice is a really, really difficult thing for any of us to accept, especially cinematic. The movie has a terrible dare I say, karmic tagged ending that they shot after the fact to satisfy test audiences. And when the test audience says they want something and it's given to them, it almost always makes the movie a worse thing. And this scene absolutely does do that. But I, I like, I like that. I like all that stuff, Joel, that it explores mm-hmm. and that it takes on that's difficult stuff. And it, 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 it'd be a better movie if it was a less entertaining movie, you know, because I think that's where it falls down is it really does try and be a event film at the same time. And I don't think it needs to really be that, but, but I like what I like, um, lovely bones for that reason, but it, it is a book that was tough to adapt and they didn't quite nail it at all. Right. That's for sure. Yeah. But I, yeah, uh, it, it's same as what dream is may come. Same as a lot of these, you can't, if you're going to watch lovely bones, you just really have to, let it be what it's going to be, I, or you have no chance of liking it because it's it, it's storytelling is manipulative in a way that will is a you know just can just rub you the wrong way, and I get that, but but 
Uh, I like that it yeah. deals with all that. It's hard. That is hard stuff to deal with, and it really does it really, really well. It was criticized by fans of the novel because the rape scene wasn't explicit. Because in the novel, it super is, but it, mm -hmm. guys, it can't be. So it just didn't please anybody, basically. <laughs> and yet, wow. that hundred million bucks at the box <clears throat> office and really, really hot. It's a still to this day a really hot selling home video title. That's because there is at least a decent percentage of the population who experienced this story saw the movie and were affected somewhat by it to the point that even though it's really about dark material they revisit it anyway so that's that's a testament to it i talked i monopolized that conversation i'm sorry joel do you have something you want no to say no that's about that? <clears throat> no no i i i i want to move on to our um our final film that we are going to talk about because it's not often we get you talking about <clears throat> excuse me about um about romantic comedies and and um that's we true. get a, a a brilliant British uh, romantic comedy uh, dealing with death in uh, truly madly deeply. Yeah. Which, one of my, yeah. one of my favorite movies of all time. I'm not sure how much of a comedy it is. It certainly has plenty of laughs, but it, it, it's, it's a sad story with a sad person at the heart of it, even though it's very, very goofy. It's, it's take on the afterlife is very, very goofy. But what's great about Truly Madly Deeply, at least in its afterlife aspects, is that we only get to experience the afterlife when it, when it visits our world for a brief period of time, episodically. And that is a fantastic, low budget, and yet high concept way to deal with it. And it's really, really wonderful. Um, Juliet Stevenson, who's, um, who has all the powers of a big movie star and yet looks like a normal schlub of a person, which is kind of the exact thing you want out of an actor who, who you want to tell you a believable story. Um, I adore her in this and she has just recently lost the love of her life and her husband, uh, Jamie played by the, uh, amazing Alan Rickman and isn't coping and isn't coping with his loss, you know, and it's not mm -hmm. that she's a wreck or that she's not getting on with her life. She's got a great support system. She's got a, a Bill uh, Patterson, the Scottish actor plays her boss. I want to say he's fantastic. Mm -hmm. Um, her sister is a little bit misguided and her trying to help, but she's a really good person too. And so, you know, so it, it starts out as a movie really about a grieving person that's in a very, very believable situation and is grieving, uh, unlike in what dreams may come, is, is stuck in place in a very, again, very honest and believable way. So when you bring in the otherworldly elements, when one night she's dream dreaming having this waking dream about her lost love and he appears to her in her room playing his cello in front of her um you have this this idea that lovely bones has too although the interactions are much less direct than that but you have this idea that he's come back to help her get over him and mm -hmm. we, when we're watching the movie anyway, I don't think we think it's possible. It, it, he's not helping by being in the room or get over him at all. Yeah. But, but maybe he is. And, and, and the movie plays that really, really complicated in a really, really complicated and deeply human way that I really, really adore. It is, it's sort of a romantic comedy, but, it, but, but it isn't 
it just isn't because the romance isn't really at the heart of it. It, it there's right. more to it than that. It's, it's that, that we have, we, and I know this more than anybody, we, and it doesn't even take death to do this. Just somebody not being in your life anymore. It's very, very easy when you love them to absolutely romanticize everything about them. And it's such a, it's, it's such a betrayal of what the, the what your connection was and what they are when you do that. I get why right. you do it. I do it. I can't help it. All I can do is be aware of it. But, but they're not that. They're a person. <laughs> it's just, and it, to really, really do right by them, you have to remember that they're a person. You've got to come to grips with all those ideas, their flaws, their fears, uh, the ways they were magical, but the ways they let you down in equal amounts. You have to. That is so important that we do that, and this movie shows how that helps us not just move on from a thing, but to truly honor what the thing was. And and it's full of laughs. It's British, so it's they're not. It's not <laughs> Matthew McConaughey and Kate Hudson laughs. Yeah. You know, it's very clever. It's the great scene where she's like, "Are you still political in the afterlife?" And he's like, "Yes, I still go to meetings." <laughs> <laughs> and the fact yeah. that the fact that the inconvenience that that connection becomes where he he goes on with his life in the afterlife and she hasn't gone on with her life and the right. contrast of those two things even though they're still connected and spending time together and comforting each other is problematic like when he chooses to have his movie club in her flat right. when she has other things to do <laughs> and all the other because of his personality, all the other ghosts that seem to join with him and are always around and that scene yeah. where she has to kick them all out and, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's so deeply human. And, um, and who's the actor that plays the, the potential new bow for her. He's so great from all the Kenneth Branagh films. Michael Maloney. Yeah. Michael Maloney. There it is. Yep. He's fantastic as well, and this this part, it's this part anybody with any bit of charm in them could have knocked. He's he's a special needs teacher who like is this perfect guy, you know. He's right. he, he's weird, but he's the guardian angel in her real life that she has to accept is you know for what he is instead of this sort of false guardian angel that she's created in her former lover. That's hard. That's tough stuff, man, and it it. It's yeah. it's funny and it's human and it's deeply moving and it and it and it does give you that romantic catharsis by the time it's over, even though it's a very bittersweet in a very English way. And I I adore truly madly deeply. It's, I think it's Anthony Minghella who went on to definitely bigger things. I think it's still his best script and his best directorial job compared to something like. Cold Mountain or Talented Mr. Ripley right. or something. I, I just think it's wonderful. And I love Alan Rickman in this type of role. He's so great. He's You can tell how inspired he is by the material and how happy he is to be doing something different during this era. And, but it's really, it's Juliet's film. And, and for an actor like her, she's more of a character actor. She's played a lot of bad guys and period dramas. And she's great at that. She's got a huge personality, but... For her to be a leading lady in this sort of story and for that to be immortalized on film. Sorry if I'm yeah. romanticizing the movie now instead of 
That's sort of the opposite <laughs> lesson of what I'm what I was telling right. you it's actually about. But <laughs> but I, I can't help myself. We can't help ourselves. You know, it really is true. You just you just have to be aware of it. It's a great pop mm-hmm. song. It's called Have a Little Faith in Us by an Australian guy called John Farnham. And there's a line in that. How we betrayed each other trying to rediscover that feeling once again. Um, mm. That's such a such a great phrase because it really is. It, it you know, I, I really it's pop philosophy and it's the pop psychology of our day. But you, you, you really, you can't help but do it a little bit. We all do it, but you really can lose out by by sacrificing the moment that you're in by dwelling in the past as comforting a a place as the past is to go. We go, we travel there every week on the show. We also do the show to live in the moment and to have a moment and to have some Joel's doing three jobs right now. So he probably doesn't feel this way this week, but, (laughs) (laughs) but this is something, you know, even with our limited viewership, this is something, our ideas that we're putting down that get to, maybe endure to some degree or in somebody else's head or heart. That's yeah. a, that's a really appealing thing. And that's why we stick with it and do it every week, even when it's inconvenient, but you know, li- live in the moment with your, with your people and stuff. I, Joel has a constant reminder of what the moment is. Cause he's got this kid in his life that it totally is the most, one of the most in the moment people that I've ever met. <laughs> Probably he really more likely is. to be. He yeah that's a really that's a really good point yeah he he, he really is truly um, it's not that he's uh, smarter than us yeah. or that he gets it it's just he's that way and and but mm-hmm. it's still a lesson that we can take from him and we can take it from truly madly deeply either what do you think about truly madly deeply it's awesome right <laughs> well I mean yeah no truly madly deeply is it's a beautiful beautiful film and it it I mean you you hit the nail on the head it's uh, what it does that uh, almost none of these other films do is is it 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 does remind us that um it it, it confronts that romanticism head on you know that you know we shouldn't speak ill of the dead uh and you know and we tend and um but we and we tend not we tend not to do that we tend to lionize our uh our you know people after they've died and and glossed over any um any imperfections and um, in this case, it takes those imperfections. You're, you're right. It's like he's he's like an anti guardian angel. It's he's just he's got to remind her. Um, Jamie's got to remind he her about bring, brings her great comfort, but he's there to help her live. And yeah. and 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 yet he and doesn't re- do it. He does not trying to manipulate her. He's there. He's yep. he's, he's his true self trying to help her live, and it's it, that's. As far as guardian yeah. angel movies go, I mean, how awesome is that? It's it's right, and how complicated, how refreshingly complicated is it? I I love that about it, truly. Yeah, it's um, it, and it uh, takes world class actors to pull that off, and they do. It takes mm-hmm. a really good script with a really good kernel of an idea at the heart of it, but it takes really great actors to pull it off and to to bring that constantly bring it down to reality. They do such a good job; I can't stand it. Yeah, yeah, it's um. It's a really terrific film, and um, so uh, yeah. So what have we, you know? What have we learned? I think I think you know Ryan has hit uh, a couple times on you know what what how we deal with death, 
Um, and, and, and when we are suffering loss, when we are sad, we sometimes can turn to movies, uh, that, that deal with death to, to give us, uh, to, to give us a, a, a guide, to give us a roadmap. Um, the, the trap and, and is that Hollywood doesn't really deal with death much. No, it, it only it two or three of these movies on this list even really deal with it at all. They, it, they deal with it by by ignoring it, it, the reality of it, <laughs> right? And, they, and, and look, Jurassic Park does it. It doesn't want you thinking about those things. It films right. with violence in it, film whatever. I mean that that's the sad part of it is that death is a tough one. It's a tough one, and it, it's 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 tough to deal with. But by dealing with continued life, life in the afterlife, these are all things that are rich with thematic meaning. So we, I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not dismissing them. I'm saying. Right. And in, in most cases, I think it, it, it is, it is a way to let those of us who continue on living after someone passes, you know, telling us that, um, that this person who is no longer necessarily with us is still having um, adventures is still uh, continuing on and it's okay for us to move on uh, and live our life um, because everything continues. It, I, I think that is the, um, I think that is, like you said, it doesn't deal with it. It tends to say that death isn't really happening um, and I think that's, and I, I think that is that fear, but it, I think what they're trying to say is, look, nothing ever, nothing ever stops. Everything continues. And, um, and, and, and the real, it's more of not a, what you should do or what does happen. It's what not to do. And that is to just have life stop, have everything stop, um, you know, live in, just dwell in the past and, um, and never allow yourself to, uh, to heal and to, and to remind, you know, to remind us that healing isn't that, that everything goes away. It's just healing means that, uh, that the pain and everything just becomes, uh, becomes part of you. Yeah. But there's a great comedian who said, you know, what, is there life after death? And he's like, well, sure. There's lots of life, just not for you. There's, right. there's the next Super Bowl. There's a dog catching a Frisbee. Stuff keeps happening. Just, just not for you anymore because you're dead. <laughs> right. And that's a, that's actually a dark thought, but you know, the idea of living your life, like every day is your last or whatever. I don't think any of us do that. That's a, too much to ask. We, we, that's the whole point. We yeah. tend to romanticize these ideas, but a little kernel of that idea in your life certainly can't hurt. And, right. And, and, you know, the best way to deal with the afterlife is to not count on it being there for you. I think. Uh, yeah, I, t- the, I tend to, this, this, I, the, this, Treat this, yeah. treat, I mean, we, we all, you know, we all have our concerns, but treat this like it's the thing that matters and, yeah. and, and play, then, play this like it's like, it's a game seven. <laughs> and um, then, and then, then everything else will take care of itself. Correct. I could not agree more. Um, all right. So, uh, 
<laughs> that that is death, according to the movie show with Joel and Ryan. Yeah, it's the afterlife, according to the movie it's show. The, with uh, Joel and Ryan yeah, anyway. the afterlife. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so um, obviously, feel free to uh, reach out to us uh, with your favorite film that deals with the afterlife. If there's one that we didn't, touch I'm sure on. we missed a couple of big ones. Oh, we, I know. We tried we did. to get a fun group yeah. in here, but. Yeah, I um, I didn't think it truly madly deeply till Joel wrote it wrote me about it last night. So, and that's yeah. my favorite movie about the afterlife. Maybe I mean it's up yeah. there. So you know, yeah. so let us know, and we can uh, revisit this from time to time with you guys' ideas. We're happy. We're frankly right. thrilled and, to be able to do that. So right, and and that place is of course uh, the Move Show with Joel and Ryan page on Facebook at Ask Joel and Ryan I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and uh, TikTok. And if you're watching us on the YouTube page, the movie show with Joel and Ryan on YouTube. Hi, because you can see me waving if you're watching us on the YouTube. So go ahead, like, and subscribe that. Um, share it with your friends. Keep circulating the tapes. Um, and uh, we... Uh, what, what do we have coming up? Uh, we, we, we are working on, I mean, in the, in the, like in about a month, we have another double feature. Uh, a little under a month now. Time is Yeah, a little under a month. And uh, we are working on, we're working on some movie club stuff. We are, uh, we, and we have, you know, once we get into summer proper, we'll, uh, we'll do some more, you know, summary blockbustery talk about some classics and and maybe talk about some movies. Jungle, uh, Jungle Cruise deep dive. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> get get on board. It's Jungle <laughs> Cruise deep dive. Um. So yes, yeah, so we got some fun stuff coming up, and uh, and uh, we look forward to you joining us with all of that. Thanks, everybody. Until next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Movie Show with Joel and Ryan. Remember, all views and opinions represented in this podcast are personal and belong solely to the speaker and do not represent those people, institutions, or organizations that the speaker may or may not be associated with, unless explicitly stated. None of these views and opinions were intended to malign or deceive. And now, here's the producers, circa 1982, to play us out.